fear of failure is essentially being afraid of not getting what you already don't have. Welcome into the Beer Money Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. And today I'm very honored to be joined by a mentor of mine, and he's the founder of Daily Discipline. Uh, he dares mighty things and he helps people and teams get what they want through the power of discipline. Please welcome in Brian Kite. Brian, what's going on, man? Hey, Kyle. Good to be here, man. Awesome. Can I call you BK? You can. So my friends call me. That's where we are. Out of boy. All right, cool. How's the uh, how's the new car? You know, the new car, the new car is good. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, for those of you who are married, you'll you'll understand this. Uh, I got the new car. My my wife is already trying to steal it. So uh, I told her that uh, I told her that she's already uh, over her limit on uh, t-shirts and hoodies uh, that she's stolen <laughs> from me. So until she returns, you know, some equivalent, you know, monthly stipend of those, uh, the, the new car is mine. Until Good luck. <laughs> what's what's hers is hers, and what's yours is hers, man. That's right. Well, see, because I, I, we, we, the. Uh, we kept the Tahoe when we moved to, we moved from Charlotte to Denver uh, about two weeks ago and we turned my wife's car in, kept the Tahoe. We got two young kids and, uh, but I, I'm driving to the office for the first time. And so uh, I'm like, I got to get something, you know, better than a, I don't need a Tahoe driving to the office. So I'm like, you got the Tahoe with the kids. Well, she come to find out. She goes, I hate that. I hate that truck. Like, are you what? She's like, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You bought it. I don't even like it. And I'm like, how we've had this thing for five years. We own it outright. It's the first time I'm finding out you don't like it. She's like, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't like the wheels, Kyle. Like the, the actual vehicle is fine. But my wife is a, she's an aesthetic external. The car has to look badass to her and it could yeah. be the most badass car. But if the wheels aren't badass, the car is nothing for her. So she's, she is getting by somehow with a gorgeous black LTZ Tahoe. She is scraping by in life. But then again, I'm driving the, you know, the new Genesis. So we'll see. Perfect. Yeah. The, uh, I will say that, you know, putting new wheels on a vehicle does change the look of it. It ups the game. It does. I don't know what it actually does for the car itself, but it does up the look. (laughs) Probably less gas mileage. (laughs) (laughs) Something, something. (laughs) Awesome, man. So, you know, you just moved to Colorado and I mentioned in the intro that, you know, you're a mentor of mine. We've never met. Um, I've been reading your emails now for about two years and, um, you know, they're short, they're easy. They come every morning. It's something that I make sure that I I read. Um, Now, obviously we haven't met, but you actually have replied to some of the emails I've sent you. So what really hit me and struck me and why I wanted to initiate this conversation was that, you know, again, recently you dared something mighty. Um, and then, you know, I want to talk about that. So I asked you to be on the podcast and you agreed. So what you have done, again, you just mentioned from moving from North Carolina out West to Colorado, that's a big decision, right? Yeah. So, and, and you have taken on a new gig, a new job. Yeah. I joined a private equity firm here where I am today. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the, we're with the, the titles are somewhat in flux, but, but uh, essentially I'm the, I'm the leadership architect here. Uh, our company is called Rally Day Partners and we're in the, we're in the lower middle market. And um, you know, we, we have uh, really two things that, that we believe in. First is, is we are by founders for founders. So everybody who's a partner here uh, has owned and run a business. And so we're not, uh, not bankers or, uh, you know, spreadsheet finance managers uh, mm-hmm. buying what we see as successful businesses and then, you know, spreadsheeting them to death to crank up EBITDA and sell it. Um, we've <laughs> been in a seat, right? We've been, we, we, we've been the founders, we've been the owners, we've been the operators who know the entrepreneur who knows what it's like trying to grow and scale a business. Um, and so that makes the, the businesses, the platforms that we partner with and, and purchase 
Um, it gives them a sense of, uh, of, uh, you know, shared experience and, uh, you know, an element of peer relationship where we can advise, not just based on the finances, but based on, Hey, I've, I've actually been there. I've, I've felt what you felt before. Sure. Right? I've tried to navigate through that. I've been in that. And we wish we had people who had been on our seats before who, to guide us back then. That's number one. And then number two is, um, obviously we want to produce, you know, great returns for our investors and, and for the, the businesses that we're buying and selling and partnering with, you know, but we've also recognized in the industry, what good is it to have a, a, a great return and, and sell a business if the experience of working with your partner is miserable, oh, yeah. right? And you see that a lot in the private equity space where, you know, people will, you know, three, four X their money, you know, double their money, um, double the size of their business and have great financial outcomes, but the personal experience is just so brutal on people in private equity. And we, we, we just, we didn't understand that. We don't have to sacrifice the experience to make great returns. And so my job, which is really cool is I don't have any finance background. I don't have any private equity background. I'm not a banker. Um, I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a former athlete, but you know, my space is leadership, team culture, and behavior skills. And I am an operator. I am a founder. You know, uh, I, I, I was and am a business owner. And so my job is to, to help scale leadership, culture, and behavior skills for businesses, you know, going from, you know, 10 million to 30 million or going from, you know, 15, 20 employees to 200 employees. Mm-hmm. So those are huge differences. Um, and so it's not just scaling a business. is not just about the, the mechanics on the operational side of the business, but the leadership and the culture side. And if you think about it, and obviously we can dive into this you know, businesses that are trying to scale the strategy and the operations and the process, that's almost the easy part, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, even in today's world, right, of, of actually doing the hiring is the easy part. And it's really hard right now. Like hiring is just yeah. in this era where we are right now, like, you know, whether it be identifying talent, pulling it in, et cetera, access to it, I mean, it's challenging. However, uh, that's the easier part of the challenge, right? Once you get people in, once you get once you get folks here, once you decide the strategy that you want to operate or you you secure the building and you secure the the loan and the lender and the partners and you got all your stuff and you actually have to run the thing every day. That's the hard part is yeah. because it's it's daily leadership, it's daily behavior. It's dealing with the most complex parts of our business, which is, the behavior of other human beings. And so that's my that's my role here at Rally Day is to, to work with our executive teams and frankly, the whole business and help them uh, apply the leadership principles to help them scale and, and grow the businesses up to the sizes that they're capable of. Did you ever feel like, was this something that you sought or is this something that just happened? Did you expect to be in this type of role? Oh God, never. Right. No, no. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, we lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for the last eight years years, 15 years uh, in Ohio before that. And then I'm from California. So mm-hmm. I grew up California, let's just say, and I, you know, I had a few times I moved back, but basically until somewhere 18, 20 uh, in that range, uh, if you count a year of college and obviously the summer's back and stuff, California until 18 to 20, uh, Ohio from about 20 to, you know, 30, 18 to about 32. So about 15 years in Ohio. And then Charlotte for the last eight, uh, turned 40 earlier this year and we came to Denver. So yeah, a little bit back to the West from a, from a ge- geography perspective, I spent a lot of time here growing up. Um, but, uh, the reason that, that I made this decision to move our family 
you know, over halfway back across the country is specifically because this was not an opportunity that was ever part of my path. Um, the way I looked at this is this was a, this was a one-time shot, right? There, there was not going to be any other opportunity for me to uh, get into private equity. Uh, people like me don't get in private equity. There is no path. It's an incredibly competitive field. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the people who are here. We have, we have rock stars. We have superstars, right? I had a 2.3 GPA when I graduated college for the love of God, right? I mean, I'm a, <laughs> I am, I am a, I am an entrepreneur through and through, yeah. um, you know, my resume isn't something I show it to private equity and they're like, you know, show me where you've done anything <laughs> in this space and I don't have it. Right. But the team that we have here um, and our partners, right, they had a vision. And, you know, that vision was one where um, the the way that private equity typically operates um, it, it needs to be turned on its head. And, uh, you know, we talk about different forms of capital and it's actually really cool. I, I, I love this because right, this isn't limited just to private equity. And this is you, know, you think about because I think anybody who's not in private equity can use the principles that that we've decided to run. You think about forms of capital, right? Obviously, traditional private equity, it's financial capital, right? We're going to infuse you with financial capital to go fund your growth. And that makes the most sense. Everybody does that. Well, because we're by founders, for founders, right? We bring more, right? The second piece we bring is we bring experiential capital. That's what I was talking about before, yeah. meaning we have people who have been in your seat. So that non-tangible... Yeah, right? Not just bankers who are like, yeah, we've, we've worked with a lot of other founders. No, no, no. It's very different. No, we've been the founder. We've seen how it goes and here's how we can make right. it better. Like I, I like you think about the hardest stuff, right? I have had to, I've had to fire that person who became my best friend that I hired mm-hmm. because they didn't want to keep growing and scaling where we were going to go. And I've had to sit down and let that person who I know their kids, I've had to let them go in the most painful to say, like, that is hard. Yeah. Right. The bankers like just go do it. Right. We're <laughs> like, yeah, you, look, you have to do it. But man, like if you need to cry when it's over, I get it. I know that feeling. So financial capital, experiential capital, my role, we provide the human capital, right? All we invest in the people. We want, we want the people to become better as individuals, not just better as employees and teammates, but better become better people as a result yeah. of their partnership. And then, uh, and then we bring creative capital, meaning we help businesses envision uh, what they could become creatively, help them see more. So financial experiential, human, and creative. Those are the four forms of capital that we provide. And obviously the, the most common in our space is the financial, but we want to we add that experiential, the human, and the creative on top of that, because that's where we think not only the outsized returns come from, but also um, an experience that you go back and you want to tell other people about yeah. just because of how wonderful it was. Yeah. And so moving a family halfway across the country to a city that they have never been to, I mean, these are scary things. Right. So now you're coming into a new industry where you're, you know, essentially a rookie as well. These choices have consequences. Like you said in one of your emails, like, uh, you know, action and inaction have outcomes. And so for you, you have this opportunity on the table, take it. There's an outcome. Don't take it. There's an outcome. And then I feel like this is where we connected was you had that same feeling in your mind that I had before I moved to the company I'm at. Mm hmm. If I don't do this, I'm going to have something in the back of my mind for the rest of my life going, you know, the what if, what is the what if? So, you know, how do you approach that situation? What was that process like? You know, that's a little stressful in the family, obviously. So, you know, for me, I, I there, there's certainly more than 
there was more than this that went into my head. Um, however, it was all justification. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty self-aware guy. All I needed was the offer and say, Hey, would you like to come to Colorado to join a private equity firm? Like for me, the answer was yes. A thousand times before I even considered a reason not to do it. Um, but that's how I'm wired. So, yeah. you know, I've got to be very self-aware of what was the process like. The process was like, I needed a sliver of light <laughs> to, to have this chance and I would jump all over it. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, the truth be told, I would have paid, I would have paid money to have this chance um, because of how exciting it is on every front. And, you know, everything comes at a cost. Um, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a consequence for action. There's a consequence for inaction. Um, but there's also a cost for every decision. So, you know, this decision to come do this isn't free. No, I didn't have to pay money, you know, to come do this. <laughs> it was, it's, it's work. So I was offered money, right. It was, it's, it's a good thing, but right. But for all of that positivity and all that optimism, right. There's cost. Yeah. There's very real cost, uh, cost in the relationship with my wife, because I moved her away from her parents and that's heartbreaking for yeah. her. First time she's lived this far from her parents. First time her parents have lived this far from her. First time any of them have been this far from our kids, their grandkids. Yeah, that's and a big that's, I feel like that's, that's the biggest deal. Most and it's real pain. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, the, the reality is it's not, it's not like, oh, get over it. No, that's, that's very real pain. And so one of the conversations that we had, my wife and I had a lot through this whole process was now that this opportunity has presented itself, and this is almost verbatim kind of how we talked through it. Um, and the answers weren't easy to start, you know, but once the opportunity pre presented itself, once this became very real, like when it was an idea, it was kind of easier. It, it's easy to say, and this happened for a while of, well, you know, if at any point that pops up, maybe we can talk about it. But then it's like, you know, it's like, it's like theoretical. It's easy to write off and just go back to life. But once the idea became real, the script that we had was this, now there is no painless option. Now that the now that the now that the chance is real, mm -hmm. like there's really only two. It's yes or no. And yes, there's there's different versions of what yes look like. We explored uh, yes that says you know maybe I'll commute. Well, I'll do virtual and commute where mm -hmm. we stay living in Charlotte. Got the office here in Denver. I come out. And, you know, do two weeks. You know, do two weeks a month in Denver in person, and you come back here. Well, I travel a lot for work. On top of that. And I'm like, well, that's at least minimum two weeks where I'm not with my family, not with my kids, not in my house. Yeah. I'm staying in a hotel here out of every month, plus my travel. I'm like, well, that's untenable. That, that's yep. a non, that's too much pain for what we get. Uh, the other is we move, which has a lot of upside, a lot of great stuff. I would love to raise my kids in Colorado. Would love yep. to raise my kids 90 minutes from Breckenridge. Be amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, but we would have to move away from your parents, which means we lose our babysitters. They lose the weekly connection with them. Um, my dad is building a house in Hilton Head, which was four hours from Charlotte. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like there's very, very real pain. Yeah. And so our conversation was about what's the pain that we'll accept because of what it delivers to the rest of our life. Mm. What's the, cause now if we, if we go, there's pain, but if we stay, there's pain. If we right. stay here, you know, we don't get this and we don't, we can't do that. And then we have the, and then we got to go, you know? And so once we started adding it up, it wasn't so much about what delivers all of the upside that we want. Cause there's upside all over the place. Sure. It was what's the pain that we're willing to accept because it delivers a higher net ROI value to us yeah. as the family yeah. and us as people. That, that was our calculation. 
And the answers aren't, answers aren't easy. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not, I think we look for like, oh, there's a definitive winner. Well, you know, oftentimes there's not. And in this one, I don't know that there was a definitive winner. It was just, it was almost like a decision where we had to kind of look at the two and just kind of compare them and then come up with its perspectives, opinions, feelings, you know, values, needs, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's messy. Got a lot of thoughts run through my head. I mean, first of all, like to be a senior advisor, strengthening culture and leadership, it's hard to do from across the country, right? So I feel like you have to be there, right? Um, number two, the way a lot of times we'll make a decision at my house is like, is it a hell yes? Mm-mm. Or then it's a no, right? So yeah. I feel like you had like, it was a hell yes. Like this is, we're pumped about this, right? You know, there's some factors. And then, you know, I don't know how old your kids are, but you know, now you're, you might be switching schools or they're going to have new friends and that's tough too. Yeah. They're five and two. So, you know, uh, my son started in kindergarten yeah. this year, my, my, and he's been in school for three years, but kindergarten starting this year. So it was very clean, easy for him. And my daughter starting, you know, preschool or whatever, whatever it is this year. So clean on that front. And that, that was part of our conversation was if we're going to do this, um, we're not doing this later. Let's do it now. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. And so you're right. For me, it was a hell yes. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, and you know, it was not for my wife. And that's yeah. a really hard spot to be in as a dad and a husband. It's just in a family and like, it's, it's tough. And, and so it took a long time. We probably, it was probably a year and a half from the first time we explored the conversation. Gotcha. To okay. When we, when we, uh, <clears throat> and it, at the time it was not a, um, it wasn't a definitive. It was, it was, it wasn't a pipe dream, but it was like a, it was like an idea. Yeah. Um, and then a maybe, and Hey, if and that, and, and, um, uh, and then it became, it became obviously really real, uh, I don't know, about eight months after that initial conversation. And, and, um, and I'm the same, right? Like I'm a, if it's not a hell yes, <clears throat> don't like, especially like I do that with like, I think the smaller the decision, the easier that is to do. Like I do that with clothes. Yes. I'm like, like, if it's not, a hell yes, I go look and be like, Oh, I kind of, <laughs> and I'm like, if it's not, if it's not an absolutely hell yes, you know, like just put it back. Like that's, yeah. and I just, I, I've been doing that for a long time and it, it works really, really well. Yeah. You also come back to, Hey, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. It's like, Hey, we can move back. If something we don't like it, whatever, we'll figure it out. That's, that's a, that's a, you know, worst that can happen is like, it's an inconvenience. It's a pain in the ass right. to drive from Charlotte to here 24 hours. Oh, this doesn't work out. All right. Like I, I've always, and I think I wrote a daily discipline about this. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting when you, when you look at, 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 you know, people not wanting to do things because they're afraid of what might happen. Whereas I've just, I've always looked at, uh, and I really have since I was a little kid, I've, I've always looked at, even if it doesn't go out, go in my favor, this particular event, I was looking at like, well, what, what's the value I gain out of having that whole experience? Mm-hmm. Right. What's the, even if it was like, ask a girl out and she says no, or, you know, <clears throat> uh, date somebody and, yeah. you know, back in the day, date somebody and it doesn't last very long or, you know, or, or try this job or, you know, go do this trip or go take this chance. And like, what if it doesn't work? I was like, yeah, I mean, it, some of them won't, but but it's not as if I am without value. Like I have, a, I have, I mean, I, I might conservatively estimate half of the value that I've gained have been out of efforts that didn't pay off the way I thought they just paid off differently. And some of it was the lesson, the experience, the whatever, but like half of the value in my life is from the stuff that didn't actually work out, but did deliver value that ended up shaping me into a better version than I was before. 
Yeah. It's almost like trial and error. Like you don't know if you don't try and that's almost what scientists, like how many scientists have found, you know, maybe even like the vaccine or something like how many things have they tried and failed in Tesla and right in the Edison bulbs, not like try all those things. And then all of your failures actually help you find the win, right? It helps you get to where you're going. They do. And this is, this is something I get really fired up about because I, I have this really cool intersection of, of people that I get to work with because I, I work with a lot of adults uh, and obviously businesses. Um, but I work with sports teams and I work with pro college, high school sports teams. And, uh, and I work with coaches. And then because of that, I work less directly with, with student athletes. Um, and I get in front of student athletes sometimes, but I spend a lot more time around coaches um, and then professionals. Right. And one of the really fascinating things that kids, and I'll say kids to just a broad term for college and below, one of the fascinating things that kids do better than adults, and I don't know the historical context for this, which I, I typically do for things. This one I don't, because um, if, if you don't know, if, if you're not familiar, your listeners aren't familiar, sort of one of the big things for me is, is you know, I almost exclusively read old books um, and and you know, the books that I read are range from a hundred to 4,000 years old. Like that's where I, that's where I live in terms of my reading. I don't really read much new stuff unless it's technical. Every now and then I'll read some, you know, a handful of things. I'll read it, you know, maybe a book on negotiation or something like that. But, but um, if I'm reading content, uh, I'm reading old stuff because I want it to be reliable. I want the truths that have been time tested and proven, not the latest stuff off of, you know, studies coming out of Ivy League. I don't give a shit, right? Like yeah. the studies coming out of Ivy League are proving stuff that's been around for a very long time. I'd rather read the originals. Yeah. So, so- Do you have uh, an example of something like that? Are we talking yeah, about so Marcus like, Aurelius? Yeah, or? so like, yeah, you know, Marcus Aurelius Meditations or, you know, or, you know, reading Seneca or yeah. reading Plutarch or- yeah. Uh, or reading, you know, Vegetius or reading Sun Tzu or reading, you know, you can go back. Like, so philosophers, I'm, Stoics. Yeah, I'm reading like, I'm reading all the old Greek tragedies, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I read, uh, I read Horace. I read, you know, you go back and, you know, you look at the people who shaped thought over time, right? Xenophon and, um, you know, reading Plato and reading Aristotle. And, yeah. and, and the reason I like these, Kyle, is because if you read them, um, yeah, there's obviously some terminology in the way that they, the way they, they sometimes they're very hard to read. Yeah. They're, they're, and I love that slog. Like I get joy out of that. But also like, if you, if you just strip away some of like the, the, the differences in terms of sort of the speech patterns or whatever, like it, it, it's literally saying what's going on right now. It's literally describing the issue that's going on at your uh, dining room table or in your business mm-hmm. or in, you know, with you and your VP, like it, it's literally the same things. Yeah. And, and they don't get caught up in, you know, whatever the thing is, right. They don't get caught in, you know, the new um, work-life balance. They don't get caught up in the new, like they're not caught up in all of the newest fads that have become pop culturally uh, popular. Yeah. They are, they are practically valuable. And, you know, you read some interesting things like you read, uh, you read, de Sachs, uh, a French general, one of the most brilliant, revered French generals, uh, is roughly 15, 1600, something like that. And you read de Sachs and, and he's talking about on the reveries of war, like the, 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 mm-hmm. the things to know and the, the stuff that we've pulled out of war and his thing above all else. And I'll just paraphrase loosely, but, um, but the, the loose paraphrase of his, of his 
acknowledgement is um, above all things in war, um, it's most important to secure the courage of your troops because the courage of the troops has to be reborn daily. Yeah. Nothing is so variable in war and in an army than the courage of your troops. It's not like once they have courage, they have it forever. He said the big heir of generals is believing that whatever his troops are embodied with, they now have it. He says, no, you have to to create this every day. And your responsibility as a leader, as the general, is to refill the courage of your troops every day because without that, it's too inconsistent. And so I'm sitting there like this and I'm like, okay, like that was, you know, whatever, 500 years ago. And... I hear leaders today complaining about how uh, millennials lack motivation. It's, that your, it's your job to give them the motivation. Gen Z, whatever. I'm like, no, like, like the point is like, that's what every human being who's ever showed up for duty has yeah. felt, right? Yeah. Whether that's, you know, and I don't, I don't know if the French army in 1500 doesn't sound like a, a soft entitled woke environment to me. <laughs> right. And so it's like back then, like even like there that the, the weak generals, his point was the weak generals thought that they should have it themselves. The strong generals understood it was their responsibility yeah. to ensure that every day through their leadership actions. So I'm like looking for stuff like that. And man, that's that's the stuff that I really like to find and help Love uncover and, and show people. Now on your website, do you have like a list of the books that, that you like? You know what? I, you know what? I don't, but I, but I actually have thought about that, yeah, uh, about putting those up because they're yeah. they're – that would be something that would be that, that I think a lot of people would get. You just value. think about like a lot of the quotes that you love, you know, that I love. And it's just, that all comes from those times, you know? Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads us into your E plus R equals O. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. So it's, it's an equation besides the fact that I actually have it tattooed. Uh, on me. <laughs> nice. That's a good way to make sure your dad doesn't get mad at your first tattoo is, is it. <laughs> get, get a tattoo of like the, the thing that you both share and teach. And, yeah. Um, so E plus R equals O, event plus response equals outcome. Um, I first I first started, you know, wrestling with this at 16 uh, mm-hmm. with this equation and um, and then brought it to with me to college. And, you know, that was where I, I would say I had my first entry into taking it seriously. Um, and uh, the, the equation event plus response equals outcome. It's very simple and very basic. In fact, that there's a story of the weekend I'll, I'll share. Um, uh life and and work, everything about our lives is a flow of events. And we don't control events. We don't even control outcomes. What we control is our response. And when our response is good enough to create the outcome we want or need, given the circumstance that we have, whatever it may be, however variable, unfair, you know, teed up, uh, whatever, uh, that's what life is. Life is, life is, how choosing the responses, right? Mentally, emotionally, action, interaction, choosing the responses to create the outcomes that we want in whatever given set of circumstances that we actually have. And in today's world, because we're, we're pretty comfortable comparatively uh, to the rest of humanity and the rest of human history, yeah. we are now in 2022, we're under this false pretense. I'm, I'm not concerned about the kids. And this is kind of why, this is why I, I was you know, talking about, you know, the older people and the younger people. The, the thing that older people want is they want guarantees, right? What, what, what kids are better at than adult professionals is adult professionals get comfortable. 
this leads right into E plus R equals O, so we were talking just a minute ago. And young people, kids, they know that there's not guarantees. And it's partly because they haven't done a lot of stuff. They haven't had as much or as big failures as adults have. Um, you know, they haven't, you know, kids aren't getting divorced. Forced and they're you know they're not they're not um, typically not having been fired in from a career yeah. they've not you know they've not had the threat of you know going broke and being bankrupt even if they didn't grow up with money they they don't know what that feels like yeah. um, they haven't had the weight of a mortgage and you know taking care of kids and all of the stuff and so and so they they this whole like being willing to try and gain experience out of not being successful to your point um, and that opening the door kids are better at it than adults. But, but, but the reason I want to go after adults is because of this, what most adults do today, and this, this connects directly to E plus R equals O, what most adults do today, Kyle, is they look at an effort. And this is really interesting. Think about all the places where this shows up, even in spots that are fairly private that we don't talk to people about, is they will calculate their odds of success and whether or not they think it's going to work and they will decide whether to put effort into it or not or not based on whether they think it is guaranteed and if it's not guaranteed think about diet exercise the apps that we buy the the uh, uh the boltons that we put into our business right you know like the the SaaS packaging and everything what do they promise like all of them marketing to adults promise guaranteed results and adults want guaranteed results with the least amount of effort or inconvenience or friction. And if we can't promise that most adults will not even start to try, let alone pay you their money for it. And for me, the recognition is that violates the basic laws of human life. And this is, this is adult, more adults ask me, what's the guarantee? Kids never ask me what's the guarantee, but adults ask me, all the time. How am I guaranteed that if we spend this money, we get that? Or if we do this culture work, we get business ROI. And I'm like, there is no guarantee. There's no more guarantee of that than there is the guarantee that if you do a hundred burpees every day, that you're going to lose weight. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee if you go into a gym and you work out really hard, that you're going to feel everything about how you want. There's no guarantee. Hmm. But I know where that work leads. There's just, you have to do it though. Right. So, so E plus R equals O. It, the reason I like E plus R equals O is because it actually it actually explains our world and our moment and our day, regardless of what's happening. So, some of the E's I deal with are what I expect. Yeah. A lot of the E's I deal with are things I didn't expect. It's the stuff that I have to actually work through. It's the stuff I have to overcome. Right. It's it's coming home and wanting a certain E from my wife or my kids, but getting the exact opposite of the EI expected or wanted. It's yeah. showing up into a meeting and saying, boy, I'd like, you know, I'd like the executive team to have this mindset around this effort we're going to go put in. And then all of a sudden we find out that like three of them have, you know, they're complaining about the change. Okay. Well, look, I, that's not an E that I want to deal with, but it's yeah. the E I actually have. So it doesn't matter what my response is to the E I wish I had. <laughs> yeah. I have respond to the E I actually have. Yeah. And that's where the challenge of life and therefore the skill that the we choice. have to bring to it shows up is I have to choose my R to create outcomes, not just in the set of circumstances for how I thought my life was going to go or my day or my drive or this conversation. Mm -hmm. I actually have to be able to, I have to be ready to craft responses to 
ease, circumstances, people, emotions, feelings, moods, the whole thing, mm-hmm. or whatever actually unfolds, which means I've got three skill sets that I have to deploy with E plus R equals O, right? In order, in order, they would be this. First, I have to be, I have to target the priority outcomes I want to produce, which sounds very simple, but man, this is something, Kyle, that people do not do very well. Yeah, yeah. What outcome do I want? What is the highest priority here? Number two is I actually have to have great observation skills of what's in this circumstance. I have to go to observation skills of you, right? I have to watch body language. I have to listen to tone. I have to be a great listener. I've got to understand you. I've got to understand the circumstance. Where are we? What's the audience? If I'm driving, it's this. If I'm flying, if I'm in a business meeting, if I'm making a decision, I I have to have very good awareness because if I don't see the event clearly, I can't respond to it well. So you think about this, the quality of our response is in part shaped by how well we see the event we're dealing with. I mean, how many times have, how many times have you interacted with your, your significant other and said the wrong thing too quickly because you didn't <laughs> recognize something? We've all done it. Sure. Right. Or you just and didn't then, wait, you know, you just, you react quickly, you know, correct, take, a, exactly. take a moment, you know. And, and then the third skill is choosing our response. So the, the, yeah. the, the response most likely to create the priority outcome or outcomes that I want in this circumstance as it exists here right now, choosing that response and then engaging in it, that's the skill of E plus R equals Okay, so E plus R equals O. You mentioned if it's not guaranteed, I'm not gonna do it kinda. Is that like, is it fear of failure almost? Is it like, a, it's, it's uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable. There's a few things with adults, um, you know, fear of failure isn't really it. And, and I, I, I take this chance because this is a huge thing I would like people to wrestle with. Um, you can hear this now and wrestle with it later. Fear of failure is probably the most frequently used statement that um, people need to explore because they're most likely not afraid of failure. Yeah. Here's why. Fear of failure is essentially being afraid of not getting what you already don't have. Okay. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Fear of failure is being afraid of not having what I already don't have. Right. Okay. So, so because somebody who's afraid of so what's failing, to fear, what's to fear? You already don't have it. It's like, again, I, I mentioned this before and I, I, I use this with, with audiences when I'm doing keynotes and everybody gets a good laugh, but it's like asking somebody on a date. Yep. Like when I, when I was younger, my, you know, my, my buddies be somewhere and like, hey, there's a girl and I'd be like, go ask her out. And you know, because some guys be like, no, no, no. Like, what if she says no? What do people see me? And I'm like, well, then just, just keep not dating her. Just like keep, <laughs> you already aren't like we're not out anything, but but it's the perfect example. And for the female audience, um, this is a uniquely male thing. This yeah. is not a female thing. This is uniquely male. If if we're with our boys and back in our single days and we go ask somebody out and we get shot down and we walk back to our boys, are they saying, good job? Like, you know what? That was a really good effort. I appreciate no. that try. You know what? You're, <laughs> you're, a, you're a nice, handsome, good guy. You know what? She doesn't know what she's missing. Is that what our boys would do? No. <laughs> no. No, our boys would what? They would clown us. They would yeah. make a show. They would. So what are we trying to avoid, Kyle? Is it ego? Yeah, we're trying to avoid ego hits and embarrassment. Yeah. And this carries over. And we know this is real because even if our boys weren't there and we were by ourselves, we would still be afraid of being shot down in front of random strangers. Or, yeah. or if nobody was looking. Just the feeling of looking at somebody else saying, I would like to date you. And that person going, no. <laughs> that's embarrassing. 
right? Yeah. But we haven't yeah. lost anything other than our perception of ourselves. Correct. And then, then we start serving to protect that. And we convince ourselves that it's fear of failure. It's not. Because fear of failure drives an action. And that action is what? Action to guarantee success and minimize failure. If we're afraid of failure, we, we, we expend every resource to succeed. That's what fear of failure produces, okay? Right, that's like, you know, Tom Brady's version of fear of failure like, yeah. is, is like, like he pours himself into succeeding. Yeah. If you're not pouring yourself into succeeding in an effort, it's not failure that you're afraid of. It's embarrassment or ego or something else. But the other side is this, when we talk about guarantee of success, here's the other side that I underestimated for the majority of my career is actually people's fear of success. Not their fear of failure, but their fear of success. And I underestimated this for a long, long time until I finally had enough conversations with enough people in enough groups that I heard them actually start articulating and I started poking at it and exploring. And then I got them to actually start saying stuff out loud that like I didn't identify with and it wasn't part of how I lived that I started realizing. And it's this, it's that people actually do know that they're capable of more. They do know they could put more effort in. They do know that they have a higher standard. But they also know that if they did it once, they'd have to do it again. And if they did it again, they'd have to keep doing it. And when they start thinking about that, it sounds exhausting. It yes. sounds like a lot of effort. That sounds like I got to try hard all the time. That sounds like I got to be on. And yeah, you do. And so here's what people calculate. It's heartbreaking for me even just to say out loud. They don't calculate. They don't ask themselves, what's the best version of me? And how do I go live that? Even if it costs me a lot of energy to go create that. They calculate, what's the version of me I can live with that doesn't feel too hard to have to create? And they accept an average version of themselves. Shitty way to live. But they, but they tell themselves, it's heartbreaking for me to say because, because the idea of that life is sad to me. Right. It doesn't mean that there's not a good life there. I, I, don't, I don't mean to suggest that. It's sad because the people I hear saying that, it's not like, like the people, the people who, who do that, it's not like they love the life that they've created. And that's what's heartbreaking for me. It, mm. Somebody who chooses their way into that intentionally love it then love yeah. it don't complain don't 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 whine that you know you're slightly out of shape and a little overweight and a little insecure because of it don't whine because you know you can't get your kids to listen or you know they're misbehaving or you know your husband or your wife isn't as you know whatever you want them to be as they used to be don't whine about that like if you're going to choose your way into the average if you're going to choose your into the lower effort approach to life, then love every part of what you have and what you've chosen. Don't okay. complain about what you don't have because you're choosing this effort. So it's like, you know, I look at people, it's like, and, and uh, the easiest one for me is, is, is the shape that people are in because one, everybody is, it's accessible for everybody. Yeah. Um, everybody, you know, eats food and consumes, right. And everybody has some version of kind of how they see themselves because of that. Right. So we all look a certain way. We all consume some stuff and we all make decisions. And then we all feel a certain way. What I want for people most is this. If you're going to choose your way where you're not in, let's just say, ideal shape because you want to eat this. I don't want people to carry around the guilt 
that I see them carrying around. I don't want to see them like coming around and like having this self-deprecating, like half kind of painful comment about themselves of like, oh, I'm not really that out of shape or like be afraid to take their shirt off at a pool. Like, like enjoy the food that you want to enjoy, eat the way that you want to eat, look the way that you want to look if that's the life that you want and love it and recognize that it's amazing and it's awesome. Don't carry this weight yeah. of, oh, I should be in better shape. No, there's no should. There's the choice you make. If you want yeah. to be in better shape, go be in better shape and go yeah. do the work and get after it. But man, if you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like enjoy your IPAs and your pizza and your burgers and enjoy the, the shape that you're in and stop feeling guilty about that life. If that's the life that you want to live, yeah. but don't like, don't like wake up in the morning and be like, Oh, I'd like to be in better shape, but I also don't want to put in effort to get in shape. That's such a bullshit attitude. You want both of everything without having to work for either one. Right. No. Right. Like, like, and you know, I, I think women do this probably a little bit more than men or they talk about it at least more. I don't know. Maybe men have it more, but it's like, I watch the amount of, amount of um, insecurity that the average woman carries around at a certain stages in her life because of whatever physical shape that she's in. And then I watch like, well, hey, like do this to get in shape. Like if, if that's a real thing, like let's do this to get into a shape that you feel good about yourself in. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we'll, we'll look for the, the approach that requires the least amount of effort. Sure. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like yeah. we can't feel this way about ourselves and then want to change it, but then only explore efforts that are really low and guaranteed to work because yeah. then what happens you get on the magazine covers and shit. Yeah, right? Well then you, well then you spend Kyle, and this is again, why I, why I get excited about it is like blink. And that person will have spent 10 years living in that exact zone, just going from one side to the other. Right. One side, like, Oh, I'm going to start working out. And then like, oh, I'm going to do as much workout as I can, but the workouts have to be fun. They have to be different. I have to be excited for them every time. Uh, I have to make progress every single week. And if my progress ever isn't incrementally a little bit better, I'm going to use it as justification for why the plan isn't working. And then I'm going to get off that plan. And then I'm going to go to the other side. Yep. And then I'm not going to feel good about myself. I'm going to feel out of shape. And then I'm going to be very insecure. And I'm like, I look at this emotional experience and I'm like, look, either way, you're going to have to put in effort to feel really good about a body that doesn't look like it used to, because at this stage and age of your life, this is where your body looks, given the choices that you're making, it's going to take effort to learn how to feel great about that and see that as beautiful and gorgeous and amazing, right. which is great. Or it's going to take a lot of effort to get into a physical shape that is not only healthy, but also you feel really secure and confident in your own skin and body. One of those two things is going to take a lot of work. But yep. right now what people do is they sit right in the middle and all of their effort goes into overcoming the demons in their own head about all of it. So they're doing all of this work in their head emotionally, but not getting payoff on yep. either side. Yeah. So, a couple of things come to yeah. mind here. One gratitude, right? Be grateful for what you have, right? Don't Absolutely. complain if you don't have it. And then two, you know, the hero's journey, the journey of it all, right? You have point A's today. Point B is where you want to go people don't want to do the work in between that journey. And if you can really get to enjoy that journey, that day in and day out grind. Wow. And then later on, eventually you'll hit point B and you're like, wow, you know, I made it here. It looked like such a big audacious goal. I tell my yeah. kids all the time. I say, if I say to my daughters, how do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time, dad. And that's the thing that so many people just don't want to do that one bite at a time. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't, so it, it, it's, it's interesting. You, you talk about that, you know, talk about the grind and I see you got the grind, yep. you know, even there behind you. 
I guess the the other part of this that I try to help people see, and not everybody does, but you're going to grind either way. In either direction. Not, not you're going to grind if you play the middle. You're going to grind if you go that direction. You're going to grind if you go this direction. Right? So, for example, take the person who isn't working out right now. Take the person who's neither feeling great about their body or the shape they're in, also not really working out. Okay? Right. You tell me that person's not grinding every day? Right. And mentally, whether it's again, whether it's carrying some, you know, physical weight, whether it's knowing that, that you know, whether it's the aches and pains or the, you know, oh, I haven't worked out in a while. So I, I'm not as strong. I, I'm a little weaker in these areas. So it's a little harder for me to get up or sit down or whatever it happens to be. You're already grinding anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that is a grind or change the change the scenario. Um, uh, let's take a relationship that's under strain. Could be a could be a marriage. Right, could be with your kids, could be with your your business partner, yep. could be anybody, right? And it's like, okay, let's go have a conversation. No, no, it's too hard. You know, it's too like too risky. Okay. Oh my gosh, it's like you know, it gets super emotional and blah blah blah, all the different stuff. Very difficult conversation. Okay, so yep. somebody avoids it because they're trying to escape the work. Yep. Well, now all of a sudden you have to work to get through the conversation. You got to work to work around that person. Now you're working to pretend like there is no real issue. And you're still grinding on that relationship in just a different way, but with no real hope of positive payoff. So what I want people to Sounds see- Sounds way more stressful. It is. So I want people to see is like any path that you choose, I, I phrase it like this. And I, I think I might've said it before when we were talking about our, our, our Denver decision. The thing in life, and this, came, this comes directly out of uh, the Greek tragedies. Um, remember the movie 300? Yeah. Right, and the the King Xerxes was yep. was the king there. Right, yep. he, he was a real Persian king. Yep. There's a story in the Greek tragedies, uh, and uh, one of the one of the originals, and it was him coming back from war after having been defeated, and his mom was was concerned that he was going to turn his uh, woes into more woes. Basically, he was coming back sulking from having lost, and she saw his attitude coming home, and she was concerned that the woes from losing were going to turn into and double his woes because he was going to put bad patterns in place. Kind of fun to watch a mom concerned about her son turning woes into woes and like, okay, like, great. That, that always hit me. Like never turn a bad problem into a worse problem, right? If I got a bad problem, let's just have that. And then let's do good things through our bad problems so that we don't double this up. But then, then she said something really interesting that tr triggered this, this, this realization for me. Um, and basically he was like, you know, he had this path of glory that he wanted to go down. And mm -hmm. he always thought that his path would be a path of glory. And she, she was pointing out to him and she didn't phrase it exactly like this. I, I pulled this phrase out, but basically she told him there is no painless path. He was looking for the path of all glory or mostly glory. And she was like, no, that doesn't exist. Right. There are, like there, are only paths, there are only paths with pain. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Oh, it hit me. I'm like, okay, there is no painless path. So whatever path I choose there is pain on that path. Yeah. The question is, am I having pain with purpose or am I having pain just to sit still? Hmm. So I'm still experiencing pain if you and I are in tension and we're not having the conversation, I'm experiencing pain. Yeah. If I have the conversation with you and try to work through it, I'm experiencing pain. They both are painful. The yeah. question is, so, so the false premise that we, that we put ourselves into as adults is believing that we are choosing a painless path in life in any way, shape, or form. 
And we think that because we play the middle, right? If you think about a bell curve, right? Yeah. Most people try to stay away from the edges of the bell curve. They try not to be too extremes. extreme on one end, too extreme on the other end. We think there's safety in the crowd. Well, the reality is um, there's not safety in the crowd. There might be safety in a physical crowd, but when it comes to life, there's not safety in the crowd. It's the riskiest place you can possibly be because then you experience the pain, but you actually minimize the payoff. Mm. And you see this a lot of people, right? They're sitting in, you're sitting in again, and there's not so much a negative. And it's not because I have like this negative view. It's, it's just what I observe people do. And I would like people to see like, just because you, you, just because you don't work out doesn't mean you're minimizing the pain. You're minimizing the pain of a workout, but you're amplifying the pain of whatever emotional stuff you're carrying. You're also amplifying the pain that you're going to experience getting back in shape when you inevitably have to, or you never get back in shape. And now you actually are carrying around physical pain for the rest of your life because you can't yep. really get up or sit down or move. You got to go slow. So either way, or disease, or something. right? Like I'd rather put the, you know, I'd rather put the squat bar on my back and squat it now and feel that pain in this piece so that I could have right. Strength, security, you know, mobility, longevity, whatever. Like I want the shorter term pain yep. today rather than the longer term, you know, ache, long pain for the rest of forever. And I apply that same principle outside of just physical stuff. Like I look at that with, you know, my own development, my own, like, I want the, I want the now short, intentional, purposeful pain to get the payoff later. That's what I think. Love it. And, you know, you played football. I played football. Absolutely love the sport. Um, just like you, like I wasn't the biggest guy, but I knew that there were things I could control right outside of my height. My height is my height but I can control the work that you put in, you know, speed camp, putting in, you know, the daily, the daily workouts and adding five pounds every couple of days and that sort of thing. Um, you can study the playbook, you can know the coverages and the schemes. So again, just all of these things that discipline coming back, you know, is going to be painful. It's uh, nobody wants to do it. I didn't want to work out this morning, but I did. I put out my clothes last night before I went to bed. I said, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Well, my alarm went off. I'm not gonna lie. I hit snooze. Yeah. And then I got up and I did it. Sometimes, and, and that's the thing is, is, you know, I teach discipline, right? And, and obviously you've, you've read and you've seen enough. I think that's a great, that's a great metric of discipline that I, I would like people to open their, their minds to is most of the time we say discipline, it's this, it's this super intense military version of discipline that people have in their heads. Like, you know, you got to get up at five and the alarm goes off and you hit the ground and you're bam, 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 right? It's the, <laughs> It's the David Goggins, Jocko, yeah. like, you know, it's this, it's these paragons of where, and by the way, because discipline, historically discipline, especially for us now um, in America, discipline is almost a hundred percent pulled out of the military mindset. That's where, that's where our American version of discipline in the last 120 years, right? From 1900 or so to here, right. that's yeah. what our view of discipline has been. Historically, discipline was not that. Discipline was a study. It was a skill. It was a spectrum, right, of capacity. It was it was learning because that's what the word discipline means. Disciple is a student. A discipline is a study. So a discipline, historically, like a, if you had a medical discipline, or you if you uh, if you were um, if you were when you were learning a craft, you would learn a discipline. They would literally talk about the craft is the discipline. They were interchangeable. So yeah. when we when we think of what discipline actually is, is it's a craft. It's a study and a skill that we deploy. It's not compliance. It's not obedience to your alarm or compliance when the alarm goes off, you get up. So you take your morning, you say, okay, I'm going to work out. 
Okay, that's a discipline choice. Great. Then the alarm goes off. Now, I don't know exactly your experience this morning, what it was, but let me just, let me just, you know, let me make up an experience for you just for the sake of it, right? You can shoot this down afterward if it's not what actually happened. But, but discipline is as much getting up out of bed when the alarm goes off as it is making an intentional choice to say, hey, I need seven more minutes, right? And maybe I'm going to sleep, maybe I'm not, but like I need seven more minutes, catch my breath and go, those can both be discipline yeah. choices. Getting up when the alarm goes off with no snooze can be a discipline choice. Saying, look, I need a little 30 more minutes. Like, like I'm not in a good place right now. But like, it, as long as it's an intentional and not an impulsive choice, mm-hmm. right? That's the difference is a discipline choice is one where we are in control. And we yeah. know the difference between when we're snoozing, when we're in control, and when we're snoozing, when we're like, like, <laughs> like my, this is running on autopilot right now. There's a big difference, right? There's a big difference between, you know, how old are your, your girls? Uh, 10 and seven. Okay. There's a big difference as a parent, right? My, my boy's five, my daughter's two. There's a big difference as a parent when we communicate, you know, frustration or disappointment with our kids out of discipline by choice. And when we do it out of impulse and emotion. Oh yeah. We can, we can communicate. That outcome is very different. Super. Like last night at, at bedtime, right? Like I communicated intentionally, right? With authority, right? And some frustration to my son about something he did. And I expressed to him like, look, that's not like, you're not going to do that. We aren't going to be those people. Like if I, if, if you do this, and I see you doing this, there's going to be, con- and I, I was, it was like stern, right? Yeah. Um, and it was discipline as a dad. Yeah. There's other times where that frustration boils over and all of a sudden it's anger, it's stern, it's whatever, but it's not a discipline choice. It was something I actually couldn't stop myself in the moment. I didn't have control over right, my tone, my expression, my emotion in the moment, and boom, something came out. Yeah. And those are two really different responses. Yeah. Your response, yeah. really different outcomes. So, so not everything that's disciplined is this like militaristic yeah. – Look, sometimes you got to buckle down. Like that's a part of it. Yeah. Sometimes you got to buckle down and you got to like, bam, yeah. but it takes as much discipline to expose and show your emotions as it does to lock your emotions down and push through them, despite what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. It takes equal discipline to do both of those actions. Yeah. The question is whether or not they have purpose and intention behind them and you're in control. That's what discipline actually is. BK, do you feel that uh, discipline and habits are interchangeable or are they kind of like a Venn diagram or they overlap? No. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be very different. I, I, if I could, if I could get the people to stop using the word habits, I would. Okay. Especially in America in 2022. Here's why. Um, uh, people are too focused on trying to create habits and they are not focused enough on just doing the actions that work. Think about it. Why does somebody want to create a habit? Why are habits so popular? What's the difference between a habit and a disciplined action? Let's just ask that question. What's the difference? Here's a habit. Here's a disciplined action. What's the difference? Sounds like one is action and one is not. Okay. But like, what's the difference between a habit and just doing it? Yeah. The habit in the habit suggests it's what? It's, it's somehow what? Like, I don't, it's, it exists within me. Oh, it's a habit now. I just do it. It's natural. It, oh, it just 
comes out. Oh, it's now a habit for me to wake up at 6 a.m. Oh, it's a habit for me to do whatever. I don't actually have to put in the work. It doesn't cost as much for me now. So what happens is people want these skills to be habits because they want them to happen easier. And so my whole point around habits is, look, if habits did what hap- if habits delivered everything you thought they did, or they worked the way that you want them to work, you, you actually don't have to put in that much work and effort to get all the value of these activities out of your life. Mm. But then you face the moment and you have to think really hard. You have to fight demons. You got to like, like, you got to like flex muscles and exhibit strength and self-control. It doesn't feel like a habit. It's like, holy shit, that was really hard to do. Yeah. That's what it is. So this whole notion of pursuing habits. Now, look, is a habit a bad thing? Of course not. Um, Do habits exist? Of course they do. Where people get sideways is they're pursuing habits, but what they're, but underneath that, what they're really pursuing is they're looking for an easier way. And that's what people have got to stop doing. You got to stop looking for the easier way and start looking for the right way for you. And if that is upfront investment heavy for however long, because some will go for six weeks, six months, and it won't be a habit yet. And they'll quit. Kyle. Yeah. They'll stop yeah. because it doesn't feel like a habit. It's working. Oh. And they'll be like, oh, but it's not a habit yet. So I'm done. So what? <laughs> and I'm like, come on. Like, no, do the work that works. Yeah. The habit may or may not form. It may or may not feel natural. It was like, when does discipline feel natural for you? And I'm like, never, never. Yeah. It's a conscious choice for me. I'm the guy who teaches it every day. I've been writing this email for five consecutive years. If you've ever done strengths finders, for the record, my discipline for me is number, you know, they, they you take the assessment and it lists all your strengths. Discipline is number 34 out of 35 on my list of strengths. Natural strengths as a human being. Mm. It's almost dead last. So for me, discipline is conscious choice. It's not a habit. Yeah. Now, make it when I get, go up to it's ladder. a skill now. Yeah. 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 It's a skill for me now, but I have to, I have to consciously like activate things and choose my way into them. I'm not looking for the thing that runs on routine without me having to do a lot. I don't, yeah. I don't want that. Like then it, then it falls out of my attention and my awareness. So, so with discipline, I say, I say, no, discipline is not synonymous with habits. And I'm not against habits. I'm just not pursuing them. They're a byproduct and a consequence that happen. Maybe I really, I personally give them no real attention for myself. Um, I just focus on how do I make the right choice from what I need to be doing right now. And if I just keep doing that, I'm going to start building good, better pathways. It's going to be more accessible to me. I'm going to build better skill. I'm going to see it a little faster. If we want to call that habit, great. Awesome. Um, I look at more as, skill pathways and like building strength is I want better strength to choose in a particular moment. Well, I I don't personally call it habits, but anybody who would want to say, Hey, well, that's a habit. Great. I'm just not trying to create that. I'm trying to make the right choice in the moment. Yeah. That's not your, that's not how you define it. You do what, again, you do what works for you. And again, just, you know, some people, Hey, I want to make this habit of getting up at six in the morning, going to the gym. Like, well, maybe that doesn't, maybe you're better off going to the gym at 9 PM. Like it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Don't force And it. I guess what I would ask is like, if somebody's like, I want to build the habit of yeah. my question would be like, what, what do you mean by you want to build the habit of? 
That's, that's what I want people to ask themselves. What do you mean by the habit? I know you want to get up at 6 a.m. Got it. When you say you want to build the habit, what does the, what do you mean? What, what's the intent behind that? Because if you're saying, I want to get up every day at 6 a.m., great, you can do that. But if you're saying you want to build the habit, what most people are going to discover is they want to be able to get up at 6 a.m. and have it be comfortable and familiar and automatic for them. Autopilot, yeah. And that's that's just a – that is a – dangerous, dangerous place to start if that's what your goal is, because it's not going to be like that. Well, again, we got to embrace the journey, right? We got to embrace the chase, right? It's yes. A and B, all the shit in between. It sucks. It sucks, but you got to do the you work. You can learn to love that. Like, you know, again, not everybody will, but like you can learn to love that. Like, yeah. Gamify it. Yeah. I learned to love stuff that's uncomfortable. And there's other stuff that I don't learn to love. It's un- that's uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, that. That's just always going to be uncomfortable or it's still uncomfortable 10 years later for me. So, but yeah, love it to be cognizant of your time here. I'm good. All right. So again, through all this, you know, discipline is the shortcut. Nobody cares. Do the work. How's your golf game? I know you've been putting in the work. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the work that I have been doing, has been uh, in a lot of places, but for the golf course, mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the downsides of uh, of transitions and all of that different stuff. But golf game is good. It's it's uh, I will say it's the best it's been. So I'm at a I'm at a ten four handicap now. Very nice. Which I'm feeling uh, which I'm feeling good about. Um, obviously moving here to Denver, uh, I'm going to gain a lot of yardage on all my. Air's going to help you out. It's, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come right back down to earth when I get back to sea level. But um, but. Uh, uh, you know, I've, I've been, um, it's funny. I was hitting balls in the, in the backyard with my son. We were working on some stuff. We got a fun, cool, new little setup. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting after it and, uh, and working, got to find what the new, uh, playing patterns are going to be here. Cause I've only, I've only been in Denver for, you know, just under two weeks here now. So, um, I played some courses here over, over time, but nothing, uh, not, not like, uh, I don't have my, my, my golf practice patterns yeah. and habits set up here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> What, uh, what parallels do you see between golf and, and life or running a business? Or? Yeah. So what's really cool for me, my experience with golf is, you know, I was a you know former football player. I didn't play golf growing up really. Same. I mean, I, Same. Whatever. And, um, you know, as a smaller guy playing on, on the football field, my, and then everywhere else, right. My, the way I compete is through intensity always has been right. It's intensity. It's being hyper like I could, you know, I'm quick, agile. I'm not strong in the, in the, in the net objective sense. I'm, I'm body strong, right. Kind of like, I don't know, like, like I can't lift as much as the next guy, but like my, my body weight for my, for my, yeah, my strength for and my body weight and all that for my pound for pound kind of stuff. Like I'm very effective in that way. Right. Yep. And so on the golf course though, like none of that works. <laughs> no, it's stupid. <laughs> like it literally, like not just that, like, and so here was the cool learning for me from a life perspective. And it was a big, this was only, and this, this happened during project scratch by two years ago is I actually discovered everything about the way I compete and the, the, and, and the success that my way of competing has delivered. It backfires against me on the golf course. Mm. So what was cool was I had to come to the realization that the skills I had built in competition don't work here. Yeah. And I, all of my competitive 
of success for my whole life, 38 years of living was this is how you be successful. You yeah. compete like this. And it, guess what? It works. It doesn't work <laughs> every time, but you keep doing and it's going to work. And all of a sudden I started looking at the golf course. I started realizing, oh my God, that will never, ever <laughs> work here. And it's because I would get frustrated. Like I'm a yeah. coordinated athletic yeah. dude. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I can't even hit this golf ball right now. I'm like, what is going on? And then I try harder. It's like every sport I've ever played, try harder, try harder, try harder. So what was, what was, what's been fun over the last couple of years where I had a huge breakthrough was um, literally fundamentally from the ground up changing my entire competitive approach on the golf course. Well, I'm not losing because I I still have to compete like that here. I still got to compete like that when I do other things. I still got to compete. Like I'm an adrenaline guy. It's like snowboarding and like, you know, camping, hiking, all that stuff. Like, like I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, and, 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 and at times, um, pretty frequently, I'm a, I'm a dumb risk taker when it comes to that kind of adrenaline kind of stuff. Like I'll do the dumb shit that like, yeah. why would you do that? Right. Like I've, I've literally killed boars with my bare hands and a knife, like dumb stuff. <laughs> and which is really awesome. Hearing that kind of stuff, by the way, um, <laughs> But then, but then like, you know, go out on the golf course and it's like, if I bring any of that adrenaline, I'm just going to make mistakes. And I did for years and years and years and years. And then, and then got myself into some pretty, and you know, golf, like you get some dark places on a golf course when you don't (laughs) feel capable, especially like as a dude who's competitive and athletic, like, you know, um, the golf gods come back on hole 16 and give all your skills back. Yeah. I mean, like we can sign you up for another two times. I went to Pebble, I went to Pebble for my birthday. The second time I played Pebble, nice. and and, uh, and I, you know, number number six, the the big par five coming into number seven, going downhill. Yeah. Big, you hit over that big blind bluff, and I went driver three wood to ten feet and wow. almost buried the eagle. You know, one inch, you know, to the side, and then literally wow. kicked in for a birdie. And like up there on the, you know, my wife and we are all my friends, and we had like all of our wives were walking with us. It was unfreaking believable. And I'm like, you know, I didn't actually play that well that day, but that hole, yeah. I'm like just bring me back again. So, so yeah. So, so what's, what's really cool is I have to work so hard on a golf course to keep myself mentally, emotionally, physically in a place where I can play well. And it is so foreign to me um, to do that. That's not, it feels unnatural. And, uh, and so I have to like, it's still very, very conscious. I don't have great patterns there. Those patterns will hit. Um, and man, when I can stay in that pattern and I can keep choosing that pattern, awesome. But again, kind of going back to like the habit piece, like it's not yet something that um, if I do it once, it replicates. So I, I, it's still, I would say it's still, it's still a pretty conscious, which then makes it mechanical, which makes it, you know, just a lot more susceptible to being sloppy. And so I'm very <laughs> much in that process, um, you know, of trying to get enough, get enough reps where, um, where it feels grooved more. And, you know, golf is one of those where even when you're at your best, I, I was actually sent a note to a, a daily discipline reader as a, a golfer, uh, college golfer. And she had written and, you know, uh, and just said like, you know, I, I, I'm a good golfer, but I mean, I just played probably the worst I've ever played. And I'm just like, I feel just like, like yeah. I've lost, like this is yeah. just awful. I could just see it. And so I, I, I ended up finding the Jack Nicholas quote, and I don't know if you ever heard it before, but he said, he said, golf, golf is, let me, let me, let me actually, well, I'll, 
I'll, I'll paraphrase, but he said, he said, golf is, he goes, it's certainly frustrating when you can play the round of your life one day and the next day it feels like you've never held a club before. Yeah, 100%. And I'm like, you know, and I was letting her know, like if Jack Nicholas, right? <laughs> arguably the greatest golfer of all time can feel like he plays the round of his life on one day. And then the very next day feels like he's never held a club. Yeah. Then you have permission to feel that way too. <laughs> and so I think, <laughs> that's, I think that's indicative of golf. Like, you know, the best in the world, the best who's ever done it. it, it it's a dark game in that way. Like it's just, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. And so um, I think that's why I love it because it's uh, you know, I don't believe in you versus you. That's just, I never, I could never want to be somebody who fights against himself. Um, but there are times it feels like that in yeah. golf. Um, and it can feel like that in life. Sometimes I don't, I, that's not a, a mindset I want to cultivate. Um, but it, you know, learning course management and dealing with emotions and mindset and all that physical connection, like it's been really fun and, and will be fun, hopefully, you know, for the rest of forever. Love it. Cool. Yeah. Where's your game? How's my game? My game. I am. I went from a 27 a couple of years ago and then I got down to a 20. Um, I have some goals in this, this last two years. So I have been staying away from the golf course for the most part. And doing some things, I go fishing a lot, which is a little more relaxing. I don't need a tea time. It doesn't take as long. You largemouth? Yep. Largemouth okay. and trout. But yeah, cool. largemouth is, is a lot of times. I like to get out on the kayak and stuff. Trout out here is very limited time frame. Yeah. Um, and it's also hard to fly fish in Pennsylvania because you just end up in the trees all the time. <laughs> it's, it's not open, you know. We have a 20. I can play. I've caddied. Um, I enjoy the game. It hurts my back like the next two days. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have a goal to hit this year. My goal is to, to get there by December 31st. And then uh, next year, we'll be uh, working on that golf game, getting those numbers down. Love it. So. Love it. All right, where can we uh, find more from you? So uh, two places you can find. If you're interested in uh, in my daily newsletter, the daily email that I write, it's called Daily Discipline. It's at dailydiscipline.com. You can sign up for free. Um, if you're interested in uh, some of the things that, that we do, um, the services that I provide to, to businesses or keynotes, that's at tbriankite.com. Uh, the T in there is for Timothy, my first name, because right. uh, the guy that owns briankite.com doesn't use it, but also doesn't want to sell it. And now he knows me and he's like, well, you know, I think he charged some crazy unrealistic right. number for something or whatever. And he's like, well, it feels like you need it. I'm like, ah, I don't, it's just, I'll put a T in front of it. So I say that because <laughs> some people thought it it stood for the Brian Kite. And I'm like, uh, my ego's not, my ego's not that big. It's it's my first name, Timothy, tbriankite.com. Um, and then uh, and then I would encourage, you know, obviously all of you who are in business, I would encourage you to, to check us out at Rally Day Partners just because of you know what we do and how we do it from an from an owner perspective. At a minimum, I, I want business owners um, or people who are in business to know that man, there are people who are out here investing in companies. Uh, you know, financially, experientially, time, wisdom, help otherwise, you know, who understand that you don't have to sacrifice the experience um, and the joy mm-hmm. and the fun uh, to build a magical business. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do is we, we, we want to build magical businesses with great founders um, and have great experiences along the way. And if nothing more, you know, just know that there's people like us who are out there uh, trying to help owners do that. Um, and we, we hope, we hope that over the next 10, 15 years uh, and longer, that there's just more businesses uh, who jump onto that train of producing extraordinary results, but also having an extraordinarily fun time doing it. Love it. Brian, you're the man. 
I truly appreciate you coming on here. I thank you for answering the call, right? I, I emailed and you said yes. So thanks for leaning in and, and taking the time today. I know you got other things to do, but uh, you know, again, this was, this is much appreciated. I'm grateful for you and uh, cheers to you. Continue doing uh, what you do, man. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate it, man. This was uh this was a blast and uh, you know, hopefully it brings some value to a, uh, to a listener. So anytime. You got it, man. Thank you. right that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things